Lynette shared with me, now this isn't necessarily babies, but Lynette shared with me that a couple of weeks ago we had 24 preschool kids in the back. 24 preschool kids. I've got a preschooler. Don't, don't we still have a preschooler? Okay. I had to look at my wife and make sure he's still considered preschool. And um, well, I, I don't know. He's like going to be six. I was like, is that still preschool? Okay. Yeah, anyways. Uh, and so I know, man, that's a challenging, challenging age. And so God bless you volunteers for that. And, uh, but we're going to be dedicating babies here, and so we're starting this series, Family Matters. And if you're here this morning and you are a single woman or a single man or you uh, don't have kids or you're a grandparent and you've already raised your kids and they're out, out of the house and you think, well, this series really doesn't apply to me, I mean, I want you to just reconsider that uh, this morning because, you know, as we discuss in our community series, we are all a part of the family of God. God is our Father. Uh, we are his sons and daughters, and that's globally across the world. We are part of God's family, but even locally here in the church. And so we are part of God's family, which means we work together. And that, that's what this series is about. It's about um, you parents partnering with us, the church, and uh, to, to help point your kids to Jesus and their need for him. And so this series, we're excited about it. Uh, and I'm excited today because we've got a special guest that's going to be coming to speak to you. Um, i just met uh, Teddy Hovner back in January for the first time, uh, known his brother Mike Hovner for a long, long time. Matter of fact, his brother Mike married me and Robin in his living room uh, almost nine years ago around Christmas time, and so that was, that was a special time for us, but had the opportunity to kind of get to know Teddy over the last six, uh, five, six months and uh, his, some of his family here, and so we just want to welcome Teddy. Teddy um, just got a job with ICOM, International Conference on Missions. He's going to be the new children and student minister uh, for them. And so him and his family are actually leaving uh, for Kentucky in June, uh, for July 1. And uh, I was kind of sad about that because I'm just not getting to know Teddy. And selfishly, I'd like for Teddy to stay, Teddy and his family to stay. But anyways, would you guys welcome Teddy? Give him a nice Chester Christian welcome. Come on up, Teddy. Let's pray before we get started. God, thank you so much for this day, and um, thank you for the opportunity to be here today and help us to never take for granted the freedom that we have to be here this morning. Um, So many people around the world don't have this freedom today. God, open our hearts and our minds to your word. Use me to um, communicate um, what you want to speak to us today. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Well, I think I get asked um, to speak on this subject um, because uh, I've worked most of my life with um, children and students and and families, and um, I guess they think I'm an expert on it. So, um, but that irritation that you just felt when I said that is... uh, is the same one that I get by saying that also, because there's nobody that's an expert on family. And I used to think that until I had a family of my own. And I used to to speak about kids and about families um, when I was single. And I thought I knew what I was talking about. And I talked like I knew what I was talking about. And then I had a family, I got married, kids, and all that, and... I don't have a clue still, all right? But there are several principles um, that we can learn 
from, and just so you know that I'm not an expert, um, I'll tell you a story. Um, I remember my first ministry that I had after being married and, and having a child uh, was in Centerville, Indiana, and uh, the, there was a Sunday in which I preached my trial sermon, and right after that trial sermon, the congregation votes on whether they like you or not, and so um, then they get up and they give a percentage of people who voted yes and a percentage of people who voted no. So, like, that's great, right? So you spend the rest of the time trying to figure out who doesn't like you. Um, but right after that day, they, they, they voted yes. I got, like, an 85% or something like that. So 15% of the people in the audience didn't like me, but that was okay. Uh, we went out to eat to this restaurant. It was a Mexican restaurant, I can remember. And uh, we're sitting there. And I felt the pressure sitting there that I was being watched and I realized after a while that pretty much everybody in that restaurant that was part of that town had been in church that morning. And they were watching us, you know, do family. And, and um, I was sitting there, and our son at the time was two years old, and he was playing with his orange drink, and it was getting kind of out of hand. He was messing on the table, and um, it, it was... It was escalating. It was getting a little out of hand. Now, I, I did something that most of us here who have kids do. We kind of reach in the toolbox that our parents gave us of tools to use with our kids that never worked on us, and we think that they're going to work on our kids. And uh, I reached into that toolbox. I leaned into him, and I said, you do that again you're going to die. <laughs> and uh, he looked right at me, and he knocked the glass over. <laughs> and so I grabbed him, and on the way to the bathroom, um, he is screaming, Daddy, please don't kill me. Daddy, please don't kill me. And I realized at that moment, I remember the emotion, and I'm going, I don't know if I can do this. There's no seminary, there's no college degree, no class that gets me ready for parenting. And yet, in this window of time, I realized the influence as parents that my wife and I have on our children. I realized the influence that we have. And see, the truth of the matter is that all of us are here because we've been influenced somehow by the church. All of us are here because we've been influenced by the church. But everyone has been influenced by their family. Everyone in the world has been influenced by their family. And how many of us in this room have parents, right? We all have had parents. If not, we wouldn't be here. We all have been positive or negative influenced by our family. And today I want to simply say two things to you. And the first one is this, and write it down and don't forget it. No one has more potential to influence a child than a parent. No one has more potential to influence a child than a parent. We all have been influenced by our family, by a family and intuitively, we know this because, as a matter of fact, statistics show that 85% of parents in our country, when interviewed, 
said that they feel responsible for the spiritual direction, the belief system of their child. 85% of people believe that. Now, these are Christian parents. 96% of parents in our country believe that they are responsible for the values and the moral development of their children. So when you look around at parents in a restaurant or anywhere else, there's this built-in theme in their lives that, hey, I am responsible for the development of the spiritual life or the value system of my child. And there's this radar in this world that suggests to them that I have this window of time to influence, and no one has the potential to influence my son or daughter the way that I do as a parent. I can remember when I was in high school, I had uh, the opportunity, George Bush Sr., when he was president, um, came to my high school to speak, and Barbara Bush was with him. And she told this story about how the first time that they had, um, that he was not president, that they lived in Texas, and the first morning he woke up to press this button that for 12 years he had pressed and brought him a cup of coffee in the morning. And uh, he went to press that button and Barbara realized what he was doing and said, this is not the White House anymore. This is our house. And I can remember one of the things that she said as a teenager, I remember her saying this, but she said, what happens in your house is more important than what happens in the White House. And see, as a staff of this church, and I realize the staff of this church and the leaders of this church, they realize how important what happens in your home is. And they believe that what happens in your home is more important than what happens here. And here's what they realize, that they have about 40 hours in a given year that they will be able to spend with their children. When, um, when, when you have classes, when you have sessions, when you have groups, when you have soccer activities or uh, cheerleading or whatever, or your kids are sick, in a given year we have about 40 hours to spend with your child here at church. And we realize that that's not much time to teach what we need to teach to your child. And if you take into account all of those things, we realize that the relationship with God and the forgiveness of things and all of these things that we talk about, forgiveness and relationships, all these things that we want to teach your kids, we don't have much time. 40 hours in a given year. The same fourth grader that we have 40 hours with in church will spend 400 hours playing video games in a given year. And because we have smart leaders here, and we know what happens in your house has a greater influence than what happens here. And I want you to see this visually, okay? So these are 40 hours, okay, on the screen. You as a parent as a family, have about 3,000 hours to spend with your kids in a given year. Now understand the contrast here. The church, as the best they can be, as good as we are, we have 40 hours 
you have 3,000. Now, it only makes sense that when you look at the contrast between these two, as a parent and as a leader, you would understand that the potential that you have to influence the next generation. You have a huge potential. And what that means as a church is this. We need you to partner with us as we partner with you because this is as good as it will ever get. But it takes the influence It takes your influence, and we need to tap into that influence to help raise the next generation. If you look in the Bible, it has a lot to say about the family. And one of the most powerful messages in Scripture is in Deuteronomy 6. And a lot of people take this passage, and um, I I think that, that they overlook it. And it's very interesting because Moses is talking to a generation of Israelites. And he's concerned with these Israelites. He's concerned because they are going into the promised land. And he's concerned as he sees them going into the promised land that he's not going to be with them. He realizes that. (coughs) Excuse me. And he realizes that there is something going on and that their future is not looking good. And so he wants to say something to them. And they're starting to forget their faith and forget the stories. And he says this as his farewell speech to the Israelites. He says this, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be upon your hearts, impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down, when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands. Bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. He's saying, look, you cannot forget how you got here You cannot forget everything that you know about God. And it's your responsibility. It's your responsibility to teach the next generation what you've been through and what you've learned. It's your responsibility. And it's not that different than what we see in our generation, in our culture. And if you read any expert, whether it's Josh McDowell or Barna or any other researchers, they will say the same thing. Somewhere between 60 and 70% of kids that grow up in church (coughs) who said in our classes, in our groups, in church, 60 to 70%, in some cases 80%, will walk away from their faith when they get their driver's license or when they go to college. They will walk away from Christianity when they do that. And even at the age of 30, only 20 to 30% of those come back to church. And here's after years and years and years of studying the mind of children and middle schoolers and high schoolers. Here's what I have learned and what a lot of experts have learned about the mind of a child. There is um, a part of the brain, the prefrontal cortex, that does not develop in a male body until about 25 or 26 years old. 
some of you females married that undeveloped brain. In females, it happens around 21, 22, 23 years old. So it happens earlier in females than in males. Now, during this period of time in middle school and high school, what happens with this prefrontal cortex is this. There's something that's called synaptic pruning, that the brain has so much information. The brain is gathering so much information, and their body is going through so much transformation that what it's doing is that it's pruning things away that seem to not be important. And so as a child grows up, they realize this, that there are certain decisions that are very important, and those important decisions my parents are making for me. Like, if I get hurt, I have to go to the hospital. I don't have a choice on that. I don't have a choice whether I go to school. I don't have a choice whether I get up in the morning or when I go to bed or what I dress like or when I get a haircut. Okay, some of those things, they understand, okay, my parents are making those decisions, and so they must be important. As they grow older and they get their driver's license and they get their freedom, Some parents let the child make the decision of whether or not they want to come to church. And their brain will prune away that decision and basically say, that must not be that important. And as they grow older and their brain develops, that brain has pruned away that importance of church. And it's not their fault. It's the natural development of the brain that has happened and it has pruned away something that is very important that we basically said to them, it's not important, I'm going to let you make that decision. And so realizing that, we have to realize the influence that we have on our children. Here's another stat for you. 95% of evangelicals say that They attended and participated in church when they were children, and only 55% of those participated when they were in middle school or high school. And at the time when they went to college, only 11%. When we start looking at what is happening and what the experts are calling a slow fade of faith, I think it requires us as a church, it requires us as families to look at the very way that we transfer our faith to the next generation. We transfer our values. We transfer our God concepts to our children. We need to realize that we need to do it in an entirely different way. And what that means is that we have a unique partnership to have that exists between the church and the family. And we have to have this. This is one of those things that I don't want you to miss. It's so important for you to understand that no one has the potential to influence your children like you. And the second part is this. Two combined influences make a greater impact than just two influences alone. Two influences together make a greater impact than two influences separated from each other. No one on one hand has as the potential like a parent to influence a child. On the other hand, the parent should not be the only influence that the child has. If we're going to cooperate and change the stats, we have to change the strategy. And it means that there needs to be this new kind of partnership that exists between parents and churches. 
We need to be moving in the same direction because at the end of the day, as much as you want to be enough for your kids as parents, statistics show that that is not the case. That is not the case. How many of you are parents of teenagers? Few of you here. As you move into this area of parenthood, those parents understand that their kids need another adult in their life besides their parents that is saying the same things that they are. Because I can say something to my kids a hundred times and another adult comes along and says it one time and they get it. And you laugh because you know that. And we realize that there are, we need to have other adults in their lives. And it's a powerful thing that we need to understand that we have this unbelievable opportunity for those of us who work in churches with children to look at ministry in a different way. We need to take the light of the church and the heart of the family and combine them to transcend and transform a generation. And if you have kids of elementary age, you have this mindset Your kids think that you are a superhero. They can't wait to spend time with you. They love spending time with you. They can't wait. And if you realize as they grow older that as they become teenagers, things become more complex and you realize that I'm not enough. I'm not enough for them. And you have to be intentional. So this is important You have to be purposeful about this. This is what this means, that we have to be purposeful, intentional about how the relationship between the church and the family is. We have to establish these things in their lives. We have to establish other adults that are saying the same things we are. We want you as a parent to be involved in our kids' lives because we realize We realize that our own child needs more than just you. And here's the thing. There's a tendency as church leaders and as Christians, parents, to worry more about our reputation as a family than to worry about what our kids think of us and our future of our children. And we need to be intentional about involving others in our lives. And we need to swallow our ego and push away our pride. That's what we need to do. Trust me on this. The greatest thing you could ever do for your children is send a clear message that their future is more important than my reputation. Your future is more important than my reputation as a father, as a mother, as parents. The potential that you have is greater, but you are not enough. And this is why the partnership has to happen between the church and the family This is why you have to understand the power of this concept. This is why some of you, if you're here and you're not in this season of life, if you're not a parent, if you're a young adult, or you're a grandparent, we need you in our lives as parents. We need you to be involved in our lives. We need other adults in our lives. We need you to be part of our family. We need you to help grow our kids up. We need you. We need you as a church. We need you as a family. And I know Aaron talked about volunteering a few weeks ago, but here's the bottom line when it comes to volunteering. If you're not plugged into an area of volunteering in this church, you're not going to grow spiritually. 
being a Christian is not a spectator sport. The Bible is very clear. If you don't use what God has given you, it will be taken away and given to somebody else. We need you. We need every single one of you. No one has more potential to influence a child than a parent, but a parent is not the only influence the child needs. And if we do this, we can make a difference in the future generations. Regardless of the flaws as leaders and as parents, God will use us to influence the next generation. As parents, sometimes we don't get involved because we don't get involved in trying to influence our kids because we think that we need to get it all together beforehand. And at the end of the day, we're excited. You know, your kids are excited to see you. They're excited to be part. And then as they grow as teenagers, they're not as excited to see you. And you kind of give up on that because you don't understand or you think you don't have it all together. And you stop. And somewhere between fifth and eighth grade, kids starts figuring out that you're not perfect. And as a parent, you realize that. And you start trying to cover up your flaws. And the best thing you can do is just admit them. And it's not like they don't know. They see it. And here's what you need to understand. It's not about becoming the right kind of parent before you can become a spiritual influence. Because you will never get there. You'll never get there. Being the spiritual influence on a child's life doesn't mean that you get it all right. It just means that you're doing what it takes. You're doing everything you can. You're trying hard. We all started with this dream about our families, this picture perfect. None of us really have that. God didn't call us. God didn't call us to love the family that we dreamed for. God called us to love and influence the family that we have. And that's what we need to understand. Here's some encouragement as a parent. Let's look at some pictures of families in the Bible. Adam and Eve, they had two sons, and one killed the other. Noah ended up drunk and naked, and his family had to cover him up. There's Abraham who tried to give his wife away to a stranger. There's David, got another man's wife pregnant, then tried to kill him. Then there's Joseph and his brothers, and we can go on and on and on. We can't find a picture-perfect family in the Bible. We can't find it. Because God has this way of taking messy families in difficult situations so he can use them as a platform to tell a story of restoration and redemption. That is what God is calling us as a family, to become a platform of his story of restoration and redemption. There's only two organizations that God uses to tell his story of restoration and redemption, the church and the family. And that's it. So what would happen if they got in sync for the sake of the next generation? One of my favorite Bible stories is about a guy who heard about his hometown. He was away, and he heard that his hometown was struggling and that they needed help. And um, he, he was with the king, and he was responsible for this king. 
And he felt responsible for the place that he had grown up in, where he was from. And he asked permission to go back to his hometown to rebuild the city walls. And if you read the journal of Nehemiah, it's an amazing story about Nehemiah comes to rescue a generation to make sure that he, re- he rebuilds God's reputation in the eyes of the next generation that is watching these people. And Nehemiah goes and he begins to build a strategy to recruit leaders and parents to put together and rebuild the walls for the sake of the generation that used to know God. And it's a powerful story and there's so many pieces to this story. But one part of the story is right in the middle and we overlook it. And it happens right in the middle of the story. People were beginning to get discouraged and frustrated and the morale was down. And everybody was starting to give up. And it was about halfway through the process, and in a pivotal moment, pivotal moment, Nehemiah says some things. And Sambalot, the enemy, he sees this weakness, and he begins to attack. And so he had to ha- he had attacked, and he discouraged all the people that were there. And so Nehemiah realizes this. He realizes the vulnerability. And in chapter 4, he says this in verse 13. Therefore, I stationed some of the people behind the lowest points of the wall and exposed places, posting them by families. And don't miss this picture. There are still broken places in the wall. These are exposed places. Nehemiah fills the gaps with families. And then I want you to notice what he says in verse 14. He says this. After I looked things over, I stood up and said to the nobles, to the officials, and the rest of the people, don't be afraid of them. Remember the Lord, who is great and awesome, and fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your homes. Nehemiah, at this critical time in history, posted in exposed and dangerous places, families, and he leaned into the parents and said, fight for your family. Fight for your sons and your daughters. And it isn't simply about rescuing a generation this is about your sons and your daughters can you imagine parents standing in the gaps in exposed places knowing that you have for the life of your family nehemiah opens up and he says that the people of god were a disgrace there were parents who had not done a good job in parenting They're divorced parents and remarried parents and single parents. And Nehemiah says that you are going to stand in a gap and you're going to fight for your child. No matter what kind of baggage you have, you are going to fight for your children. And if you're a parent in whatever state of parenting you're in, whatever baggage you have, God is a God of restoration and redemption. And your children need to grow up in a home and in a church seeing adults and parents that are willing to do whatever it takes to fight for them. For the spiritual lives and for their relationship. God never gives up on us. And kids need to grow up. Knowing that they have parents who will never give up on them. As parents, you realize that they see God in you. And they're going to grow up. 
Do you want them to grow up understanding that God will never give up on them? You cannot give up on them. I just need to know that our relationship is worth fighting for. That is what your kids want more than anything else. Your kids, your teenager, your adult children want to know from you that they are worth fighting for. And I don't know most of you, I don't know your story, but if I was to sit down in a room with your child, would they be able to say, my mom and dad would never stop fighting for our relationship? This is what your child wants to hear. I may not get this parenting thing right. I I, I know that I have issues in my life, but I want you to know that I will never stop fighting for our relationship. What would happen if we had a church full of parents who believed that? What would happen if we have a church full of parents who would say, I may not always be perfect, but I will always fight for my child. I will do whatever it takes for my child. God didn't call us to love the family that we dreamed for. God called us to love and fight for the family that we have. Let's pray. God, thank you for your word and thank you for never giving up on us. And God, help 